The Holy Gospel according to Matthew chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what has been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he taught, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease among, and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. After last week's kind of one-week um, scriptural field trip uh, with Pastor Sarah to hear a story uh, from the Gospel of John this morning in this liturgical year A, the year of Matthew's Gospel. We are once again back in Matthew's Gospel where our reading today starts in chapter 4 verse 12 above which in my Bible there is a heading which tells us that here now at this point four chapters and 12 verses into Matthew's Gospel Jesus begins his ministry. Having here and now apparently decided that it's no longer time to be preparing to do the things he came to earth to do, rather now it's time to start doing the things he came to earth to do. Context. The turning point from preparations to ministry, Matthew and Mark and Luke, all tell us, comprised two events. First, his baptism by John the baptizer, where he was visibly, at least apparently visible to himself and John anyway, anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he was also audibly, audible at least to himself and probably John anyway, named God's own beloved Son by a voice that spoke from heaven. Which led to the second turning point event when immediately then after his baptism he was somehow spiritually compelled by the Holy Spirit was his understanding, still not yet to public ministry, but first of all rather into the lonely wilderness and ruggedness of the Judean wilderness where for 40 days he fasted and prayed and was tempted by the tempter, the 
tempter, who in scripture is also named with several different names, just as we, when we all surely do, we all surely do, hear um, tempting, yet um, as beautiful as they may look, destructive enticements, either whispering or shouting within or at us, and when we do, we name them with different names, right? Perhaps depending on whether we're talking to our children, or our therapist, or our spiritual guide. Matthew here in this story names the tempter by two other biblical names, the devil, and also um, the Satan. Satan became a proper name, but actually that's not how it started, the Satan. Who in those 40 days did the best he could do to convince Jesus that his understanding of who he was and his understanding of what being who he was was now meant to lead him to do were based on some serious, said the tempter, misunderstandings of God and how things get done in the world. In that confrontation in the wilderness, the primary temptation behind all the temptations with the tempter threw at Jesus was the temptation to trust, to believe and believe in him. When he told them that there was a better way, an easier way, a no-suffering way, a glorious way to go about being God's son rather than the way of suffering that Jesus even now was beginning beginning to comprehend the way of suffering was the way his father was calling him toward Satan being often sneaky good at the evil he is good at didn't say God is lying to you Jesus Satan rather quoted Bible verses essentially to say you're misunderstanding God Jesus you're his beloved son, for God's sake. You just heard that. Use it. See, it's what he want you to do. Here, let me quote you another Bible verse that says that. Jesus, it turns out, knew his Bible better than Satan did. And um, he fended off the temptation thrown at him by Satan's um, cherry-picked uh, Bible verses. Which takes us now finally to our text for today, where we are told that Jesus began his ministry, his public ministry, when he heard that John the baptizer had been arrested. John, Pastor Sarah reminded us last week, had been called by God to be the one whom the prophet Isaiah had spoken of centuries earlier when he said there would be one whose voice in the wilderness would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. But now with John's arrest, the preparer of the way has done all that he will do. And it was now time for the one who will say, I am the way to start doing what he will do. By the way, Matthew will tell us later that the one who arrested John the Baptist was King Herod, who had John arrested because John, in his never-endingly loud and annoying preaching against sin, was loudly and annoyingly and in Herod's mind, impertinently and embarrassingly telling everyone that Herod had sinned, 
when he had seduced and then married his brother Philip's wife, with whom he was now, said John, blatantly living in sin. And so Herod put John in prison to publicly anyway shut him up. The shutting up would be complete at some time later, we're not told exactly how much time, when still in prison, John by Herod would be executed. And this here, at the beginning, mention of John's arrest, in other words, shadowy ominousness makes yet another early appearance in the gospel as we are reminded once again just as we were reminded a few weeks ago right after Christmas when when this particular Herod's dad who self-aggrandizingly called himself Herod the Great responded to the Christmas story by having his soldiers kill all the boy babies they could find in Bethlehem here now, 30 years later, we are once again reminded by this next generation of Herod that when it comes to the story, Jesus came at Christmas not just to tell, but in the flesh to be. Here's the truth. Not everyone is going to be a fan. For Jesus' powerful reinterpretation of power in the direction of not fear and force, but rather mercy and love will absolutely and absolutely accurately be heard by powers that be as a threat to them and their ways and their power. Jesus came to save and to love in other words but the in this world reality is that not all especially often when it comes to the privileged and the powerful not all are interested in being saved or interested in being loving. That very same reality, of course, is the reality that ended the life of Martin Luther King, Jr., whom we at Gloria Day, as well as many others did, remember and honor this past Monday. And in doing so, sending the message to the world, you can kill the dreamer, right? But you can't kill the dream. back to the text which says that when John Jesus heard that John had been arrested he withdrew to Galilee he'd been in Judea which on first impression may sound like kind of a retreat but actually that wasn't because unlike his dad Herod the self-professed great who ruled over the entire region at the on the east side of the Mediterranean including Galilee Herod, this next generation of Herod, whose name was Herod Antipas, ruled actually over one, only one quarter of his father's kingdom. His father did that deliberately because he didn't want anybody to be as great as him. He was, he was a piece of work. Herod Antipas's territory included Galilee. He had a palace in Galilee. So it turns out that when Jesus withdrew to Galilee, it wasn't to get away from Herod. It was rather to make the point that neither demons nor kings could turn him from the path that he was called to walk. A path which Matthew says next is a path the prophet Isaiah had said centuries earlier would be a path that began in Galilee. 
which by Isaiah's time had come to be known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Gentiles being the word for all non-Jews because Galilee's population by now, um, in large part because of wars and, and population movements that wars create, Galilee's population by now was a very diverse place for which it was looked down upon in Jerusalem by Jewish nationalists and purists who, like nationalists and purists today in so many cases, weren't fans of diversity. We are reminded that this Messiah, who has been promised to the Jews, didn't come to be a savior of only Jews, and by the way, not, not also of only Americans, but of all people, and to do so with a stated love for diversity, and a stated preference for those the pure cast aside. Nazareth, Jesus' boyhood hometown, is in Galilee, but that's not where he went. He went to a town that became his ministry's home base, small town on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, whose economy was driven by the waters of the sea, uh, the shores of which it sat upon. The town was called Capernaum, town of Nahum. And there, Matthew 17 tells us, in, in around Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus now finally and at last, introductions and preparations, temptations behind him, Jesus now opens his mouth publicly for the first time to speak what he was come to say. And what he says is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Which in Matthew's gospel, is word for word in English and in Greek exactly the same thing that John the baptizer had said when he preached, word to Herod. You can kill the prophet, the speaker of the word, but you cannot kill the word. The word repent, by the way, in both Hebrew and Greek, literally means to turn around. But it can then further be understood to mean either turning around and away from something or turning around and towards something, taking it to be both at the same time, which I'm quite convinced is what we're supposed to do. You have both John and Jesus saying that in the kingdom of heaven, which John came to usher in and Jesus came to walk in, there is both turning from and turning toward for us to be doing. Put in another way, the preaching and teaching, we are now going to hear Jesus go on to preach and teach in places like, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, which we will turn to next week, can pretty much be summarized like this. Turn away from the sinning, the not loving that you are doing, to turn toward the loving grace and mercy of the Savior of sinners than to turn toward your neighbor and this sin-broken world and the loving that needs doing. Which takes us to Matthew 4.18 where we now read of Jesus calling his first disciples. Actually, I misspoke. 
that's not quite accurate. For what, what that call to repentance in Matthew 17 actually literally takes us place, at, it takes us to, in, the, in fact, if you look at, look at it in print, for example, in the bulletin, what that call to repent takes us to is this blank space and paragraph break between Matthew 4.17 and Matthew 4.18. And do you know how much time takes place in there and what else happens in there? Neither do I. Matthew doesn't say. It's a blank space um, that Luke offers perhaps some comment that maybe some things did happen, but Matthew just skips right it on through that white space between verse 17 and 18. Luke suggests that maybe during that time, um, Jesus did maybe do um, a little bit of, of preaching and teaching and healing in the area, which um, leads me to think, because this is interesting, he comes, he comes to Peter, James, Andrew, and John, follow me, this may not be uh, an absolutely completely cold call by a complete stranger. Um, Luke's telling, and actually John gives us a little reason to think this too, is that maybe Jesus had been doing some preaching and teaching and miracle working, and maybe, who knows, maybe even Simon and the rest actually started to hear about him. Who knows, maybe even uh, once or twice after work, um, or before work, they worked nights, um, maybe even once in a while they went and heard him, and maybe during that time, um, maybe during that time something from him was already starting to work on their hearts, and maybe that time the Holy Spirit was starting to work on their hearts too, the way she does, so that when they came to them, not perhaps completely out of the blue, he said, with the call, he said, follow me, and they did. He said, I'll make you fishers, not of fish, but of people. And immediately, now there's no white space, no blank space. Immediately, it says, uh, they left their nets and followed him. How could they do that? I think something had been working on them. I mean, it's not impossible that the compelling presence of Jesus just on a cold call could be just as compelling. I. I kind of think something was working on them so that when he walked up um, toward them, I mean, already there was a skip in their hearts. And when he said, follow me, I think they said to themselves, how could I not? And so with no questions about um, salary, uh, benefits, uh, hours, or 401ks, um, like, you know, after you guys called me to be pastor here, we said, we're all ready to go, now let's talk right? Salary, benefits, uh, you know, all that stuff. Nothing about that came up here. Um, they just followed him, up and followed him. He kept walking, found two more brothers, John and James, in the boat with their dad. He said the same things to them. And once again, immediately, no blank space here, they, they left the boat and their father, and they up and followed him too. Followed him to do what? To go fish for people. Important notice. From the very beginning of Jesus calling others to come be part of the plan that he and his father had, he didn't just call them to come follow him so they personally could come be close to him. From the very beginning, he called them to come follow him so that they could be a part of how others could be drawn close to him and his dad too. 
follow me, he said, and we'll fish for people. This very first word on the subject of what it means to be his people, in other words, is that being his people, being his followers, being his church, means taking what he came to do and to be and to bring to us and to reach out with it to more people. Too many Christians, and, and these inevitably become unhealthy Christians, and too many churches, and these inevitably become unhealthy churches, too often forget that. And forgetting that, they think this faith stuff and this church stuff is just about Jesus and they themselves personally being all snugly and cozy. And then thinking this faith stuff and this church stuff about, is just about them and Jesus feeling all snugly and closely, cozy, they quit reaching out to the world. Quitting reaching out to the world, they quit living into the world-changing calling. The world-changing calling they were called by God for. And quitting living into the world-changing calling that we were called by God for, they quit being the church whose head is Jesus Christ. For Christ's church comprises people called by God to live into the purposes of God. And taking our cue from the two public things that Jesus did open his mouth to say in today's reading, which happened to be in Matthew's Gospel, the very first two public things he ever said, period. Living into the purposes of God goes like this. Repenting. Turning from sin. From unlove. By turning toward love, love which is God's love come to us in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, and then following him. Following him by turning toward others with his love, which as will become very, very clear before the story is done being told, is love for all sinners. All of which does not turn out to mean or look like the exact same thing for a bunch of same exact everybody's. Because surely not everybody here is called to fish for people in the sense of dropping everything literally in order to become full-time missionaries and evangelists. But we all are called to go fish in the sense of realizing that that love we have come in Christ to know we are loved by God with, isn't ours to hoard, it's ours to share. It's not ours to bask in, it's ours each in our own ways to become. Sometimes after all, people might not most of all need a sermon or a personal testimony. Sometimes rather what they most need is the love of God, loving them in whatever way it can because it is coming the way it can and does from you. You turning from sin. You turning toward love. And then you turning toward others with Christ's love, which is love for all sinners and all who've been sinned against. Or to say all of that the same way Jesus said, but a little shorter, repent, follow me.
and we'll go fish for people. Amen.